Good morning. Good to be with you. I will be reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, pa I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we ask now that you'll be with Aaron as he brings us the message, and us sitting in the seats will have open ears to hear what he has to say. May we be blessed. And Lord, we thank you in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. The Alphas can be dismissed. Uh, this morning we're going to continue our time and our study in the book of Proverbs, uh, how stewardship is wisdom, and we'll begin in chapter 8, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Well, we've all heard the story of Goldilocks, right? We're all familiar with it. We all grew up uh, after that story was written in the mid-1800s. Uh, but this little girl, she stumbles into a home of three bears, and she comes across three different items. The first is some porridge. She likes the one that's neither hot nor cold. Then she finds some chairs, and two are too large, and one is just right. And then she wanders upstairs, which is just a strange story, uh, but she wanders upstairs, and she doesn't like the bed that is too hard, and she doesn't like the bed that is too soft, or actually, is it too big or too long? Whatever. She finds the bed that is just right, right? She's satisfied with being somewhere in the middle of all these different items. So remember that. We'll get to a passage in Proverbs that we'll look at that a little bit more. Well, a few weeks ago, there was this headline. I saw it on one of the news websites. How much income would you need to feel rich? The survey results said, okay, don't fall over. $483,000 a year to feel rich and financially free. That is a huge number. Okay, wait, wait. There's another question the survey asked. What about just financial security? 233000 Another number that just seems ridiculous. Last week, one person won the lottery of $1.6 billion in the state of Florida. Lottery, friends, is not an example of stewardship. 
double that amount would need to have been spent for the prize to be 1.6, 3.2 billion dollars, okay? That is a lot of money for one person to win. And often that comes at the expense of the poor. It comes at the expense for those who wish to be free from the troubles of this world, wishing for freedom and for security. And they'll say it funds schools. Sorry, schools are not the best stewards of resources. But much of it goes to administration, to commissions. So I say all this because the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about being rich, but it also has a lot to say about being poor. That passage in Luke that Phil read for us starkly contrasts a rich Pharisee and a rich tax collector as well, but he knew he was poor. It shows the hearts of these two individuals and what they wanted from God. And so going back to Proverbs, Solomon, he knows a lot about being rich. He's the richest man who has probably ever walked this earth. He would make Elon Musk look like he was a poor man today. And in his wisdom, Solomon takes painstaking effort to remind the readers of Proverbs, you and I, even today, that we own nothing and we steward everything. And so stewardship is wise when it does three things. It is godly, it is grateful, and it is genuine. And so we'll look at those three things as we survey the book of Proverbs. But before we do so, would you pray with me one more time? Father, as your word says, you own a th cattle on a thousand hills. God, we come to you who owns everything, who is sovereign over everything. And so we ask and we pray in light of the words of your scripture this morning to show us ways in which we need to repent. Would you show us ways in which we need to trust? Would you show us ways in which we need to worship you because of who you are because of what you've done. God, that you and you alone are worthy of our praise and our worship. And so God, as we talked about last week, as we have another family reunion, God, would you unite this family? Would you cause this family named Cornerstone Church that's gathered here this morning to worship you? And we do ask this in the mighty and powerful name of your son. Amen. Let me read Proverbs 8, 12 to 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil. And perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By, my, by me, kings reign, and the rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk 
in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Okay, so as this writer is doing, he is speaking on behalf of wisdom, where wisdom provides abundant treasures and riches. Wisdom produces prudence and knowledge and discretion. Wisdom is trying to appeal to us as we hear the words of Scripture that God's way, or sorry, to live according to God's way, and God's way is that of wise stewardship. And first and foremost, wise stewardship is godly. It follows God's way. And as a reminder, as we talked about the last two weeks, our personal experience needs to be set aside, okay? We allow the Bible to read us. We don't read our experiences into the scripture and apply it to our lives that way. It's because remember, we saw two weeks ago that not every marriage is perfect. And so we learn what the Bible says about God's covenant. Not every family is a great family. And so we go to the Bible to hear what God's word says about a family. And so not everyone has the same resources as well. And so we must allow the Bible to describe what stewardship means for each of us. It's wise to consider 1 Samuel 2, 7. It says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. God is in control of it all. And stewardship is godly when we go back to our Proverbs passages, when it starts with the fear of the Lord in 8.13. It's through righteousness that wisdom endures. It produces great fruit. It preserves faithfulness. It helps us to walk in judgment, as that passage we read from chapter 8 says. Stewardship begins with a correct understanding of who God is. Job said the Lord gives, but also the Lord takes away. Stewardship is wise when it is godly, when it's eternally focused. Proverbs 11, 2-4. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So no matter what your net worth is, we will all face the same judgment at the end of our lives. Neither poverty nor riches provide comfort or dread in that day. Righteousness and righteousness alone is the only thing that will deliver us from death, as we saw in 11.4. Stewardship is wise when we remember that godliness, as we saw in our study of 1 Timothy, is of great value. And having a hope in the Lord. Remember that tax collector. Lord, have mercy unto me, a sinner. Should be our collective posture, church, because that's what matters most. This all focuses on the giver of the gifts, not the gifts themselves. Proverbs 13, 19. Desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. So one Christmas, I was about 10 years old. I was trying to remember. I got a bike. I looked at it. I analyzed it. 
my first response was, it wasn't the bike that I wanted. I wanted the GT BMX bike. Let's just say my parents were not too thrilled with my response to their generosity, and they were a little discouraged. The bike they bought me didn't have the big GT logo that I could boast to all my friends, look what I got for Christmas. Guess who ended up being the fool? Me. It didn't have the big logo, it had a small little logo. They did get me the bike that I wanted. It just didn't have that which I could boast about. And for 30 years, I've still remembered that fateful Christmas morning. My parents did know, they did bless me, and stewardship remembers and rem that we are given gifts by the giver. We don't focus on the gifts themselves. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Solomon knew the snare of the material possessions that he had been entrusted with. He knew that they did not last. Jesus said this about that same very thought in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, especially in Vermont, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 1 Timothy 6, as we saw in the spring, talked about contentment with our basic needs that God gives to us. And contrary to what Dave Ramsey says, not all debt is bad. I don't think many of us could purchase a home without a mortgage. But that doesn't mean we should not try to pay it off or that means we shouldn't also over-mortgage ourselves either. Student loans help us to get through college, but that doesn't mean that we should go to the most expensive college. Credit cards provide flexibility. They also provide rewards, but that doesn't mean we should just allow the interest to build up over and over every month. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Slavery to MasterCard and Visa are all too common in the world we live in these days. Godly stewardship avoids these pitfalls. Proverbs 21, 17 is more true today than I think ever. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil or apple products or new trinkets and new toys will not be Rich. Those are the words they weren't in the original text. We must be careful as the potential recession mixed with overly high inflation might cause a few of us to go down paths and to be in situations we might be regretting. And that is wisdom. An insatiable appetite for the newest gadgets or pet hobbies could potentially leave us poor in the end. C.S. Lewis said this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant 
by offer of the holiday at the sea. Many of you have been to Maine this summer. A holiday at the sea is much better than the mud we've had to deal with around here, right? We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis says. And stewardship is wise when it prioritizes godliness. Proverbs 22, 1-2, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Riches do not last forever. Proverbs 27, 24. Stewardship is wisdom when it's godly, focused on our good, eternal God who owns everything. And this change of heart lends itself to our second point. Stewardship is wise when it's grateful. Chapter 8 said, Wisdom is like a treasure of an inheritance. What entitles you to inheritance? Nothing. Maybe we don't make our parents mad. But often inheritance comes by just being born of which you had nothing to do with. The opposite of gratitude is entitlement. Proverbs 18.23 gives an example of words coming out of an entitled heart. It says, the poor uses entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. Financially, we're more well off than any generation who has ever walked this earth. We don't maybe have that $233,000 financial security each month or each year, but we are wealthy. 26% of the world doesn't have running water. 13% has no electricity. 50% has no health care. I don't say this to make us feel bad, but I say this to remind us to be grateful for the things that we have been entrusted. Someone will always have more than us and someone will always have less than us. What, I, what matters most is are we grateful for what we do have? Do you know what God's will for you is? To be thankful. And don't take my word for it. Let me just take God's word for it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. That's God's will for you. Clear as day. Stewardship is wisdom when it's grateful and it's godly. But it's not about doing more good things. It starts with the heart. It starts with the gift of God in our hearts. And that's our third reminder. Stewardship is wise when it's genuine. You can white-knuckle godliness or white-knuckle gratefulness. Jesus said this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Treasure is stored in our hearts. And when we steward it, it's wise, but it's also genuine, where it's aligned with Scripture, the things that we do. Good treasure is wise treasure, contrasted with foolish treasure, which is evil. And what we do shows what is genuinely happening in our hearts. If you take out Instagram, Nike, and National Geographic, 
the 25 most followed accounts on Instagram are all celebrities and athletes. And my guess is each of them are worth millions of dollars. But I guess, and my assumption is that not many of them have a lot of true friends. Proverbs 14, 20, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends, being a little facetious. And I'm curious about those top 25 accounts. How many of them are really lonely? And I think this connects to last week. We are a church family. We get to be genuine with each other. We get to share each other's needs and meet those needs and love one another. The heart speaks out of our mouth, but it also speaks through our hands and how we serve one another. As we'll look at the book of Acts in the fall, as Eric said, Acts 4, 34 and 35 describe this early church. A godly and grateful and genuine people of God, serving the Lord out of the abundance of the grace that he has received, and they with their hands serve one another. Let me read it. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it before the apostles' feet and it was distributed as any had need. They are called owners here, but they're really stewards because God owns everything. Our actions will show our genuineness. Proverbs 16.8, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenue with injustice. Righteousness is a theological term of being right with God. And one commentator, he wrote this, Poverty is not seen as good in itself, nor are the benefits of riches denied. The issue is whether or not a person has justice, or as 1516, which we already says, a person has a fear of the Lord. Proverbs 30, 7 and 9, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That was a prayer for wisdom. Remove falsehood. Give a genuine tongue. But also, give me neither poverty nor riches. Goldilocks, somewhere in the middle. The Hebrew term here can be translated, give me bread of my daily portion. Sounds very familiar to someone else's words, right? Jesus' words, give us this day our daily bread. Not more and not less. Goldilocks, satisfied with neither too much or too little. But as opposed to the intruder in her home who clearly has irresponsible parents in Goldilocks, who would wander around, sleep in someone else's bed, or a bear den, were welcomed in to the home of God by a loving Father. And the potential danger of riches or poverty is both a denial of the Lord. Someone who has a bunch of resources could think, I don't need God. God isn't loving to me could be the response of someone who doesn't have what they want. And those struggles still remain for all of us, I think, right? Somewhere in the middle, where we're oftentimes tempted to fall one way or the other. God wants a genuine, undivided heart that fears and honors His name. 
And a sinful outworking of a heart that is not genuine is greed, which we don't have time to cover today. But our first three points touched on heart issues. Godliness, gratitude, and gentleness, or genuineness. Another G word. It's not in my notes. And our last point moves us to action with a fourth word of starting with G. Stewardship is wise when it's genuine. Generous. Tongue twisters. Contrary to greed, Proverbs 21.14 gives us a practical way to combat our sin. A gift in secret averts anger and a concealed bribe strong wrath. Or 28.8, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. We're the mind towards heaven. It combats our inclinations for earthly gain. When we understand stewardship as opposed to ownership, it's easier for our hands to remain open and give our stuff away. It's all God's, so we become conduits of His generosity to others. It doesn't mean we ignore an opportunity to earn some money. We, we shouldn't. But we must remember that even the opportunity to earn money, whether it's a job or an investment, is a gift as well from our sovereign God. Proverbs 19.6, Many seek the favor of a generous man, but everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. And this isn't just physical things that we're generous with, where we steward the greatest treasure that we all have, the gospel. God himself, as revealed in the gospel, has been given to us the good news that God saves sinners through life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that, friends, is the greatest gift we can give to anyone. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus shares a number of parables, his simple stories like Phil read for us this morning that have significant eternal implications. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. He's saying, go get the treasure. Matthew 13, 45 to 46, again, the kingdom of God, heaven, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He's saying, go get the treasure, but it's not the stuff. It's the revelation of the gospel that he's saying, take hold of it. Get rid of everything else in your life to grab a hold of the gospel, the greatest gift and treasure that we all are given. So go grow a business, get a promotion, sell an investment, pay off a debt, whatever you want to do. But if you don't have those opportunities, remember that God is the treasure that outweighs all treasures in this life. The gospel is the gift that outweighs all treasure. It is a treasure of infinite worth. And our stuff won't help us, remember, on the day of judgment. But our changed heart will, that God provides in those three first points that we covered. Why stewardship is ultimately remembering Jesus Christ is our treasured possession. 
Stewardship is wise when we realize everything we have is from God, that it all belongs to Him, that He transforms our hearts to be more godly, to be more grateful, to be more genuine. And even those things are a gift. And out of the heart, we turn towards generosity. David said these words in Psalm 45. Verses 5 to 9. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit." Friends, we bring nothing to the table for our salvation. No man can ransom or give to God the price of his life. God does all that for us. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we should have died. He rose to give us a life we didn't deserve. And if that doesn't drive you to gratitude, I don't know what will. John Piper said, the Bible teaches that all the gifts, all our gifts to God, whether ourselves or our resources or our praises or our thanks, are already God's. And he has given himself, he himself is giving us the willingness and the ability to give him what is his. Our faith is trusting in God's generosity to save us from our sins. And the way of wisdom is to follow what the Proverbs says and calls us to stewardship as wisdom. We're generous with others because God has been generous to us. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord. The Lord owns it all. And he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. A rich young fool came to Jesus in Luke 12. And Jesus rebuked him for storing up treasure here on earth. Jesus said this, but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Our gratitude towards God is a result of the gift we receive, and it comes with an admiration in the enjoyment of God himself. Our most important form of gratitude is giving God the glory that he is due. Everything we have is a gift. Our lives, our family, our church, our bank account, everything, all the resources that we have are a gift. And we have an opportunity to give thanks to God for each of them. We have an opportunity to give God thanks in our worship. On Thursday, our Bible reading plan, if you saw my email, took us to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. A famous passage, the prayer of Jabez. 1 Chronicles 4, 9 to 10 says this, Jabez was an honorable, more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my borders, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Right? Those who've been around the church since 2000, when a book called The Prayer of Jabez, we've all been told, don't buy the lie. The author of that book, who has sold tens of millions of copies, said this, I want to teach you how to pray, a daring prayer that God always answers. It's brief, only a sentence with four parts, but I believe it contains 
a key to life of an extraordinary favor with God. In fact, thousands of believers who are already applying these truths, he says, are seeing miracles happen on a regular basis. Who doesn't want that? This book has made a few errors, though. It trivializes prayer. It makes prayer prosperity-driven. It fails to prioritize God's providence, most importantly. Imagine a guy like Job, right, hearing of this. Or Joseph, sold into slavery, put into prison unjustifiably. So should we pray that prayer? Why is it placed in 1 Chronicles 4 to teach, rebuke, correct us, and train us for righteousness? Because the prayer focuses on who? The giver of the gifts. It focuses on God, not what he gives us. And God is not a genie in a bottle who desires to give us all the wishes that we have, or at least three. God is a providential, loving, sovereign father who delights to give good gifts to his children. And this prayer is not about what we receive from God, but it's a prayer of remembrance of who God is. This prayer is not the American dream, which is why it sold tens of millions of copies. Jabez was a man who caused pain. We saw his mom named him Jabez because she caused him pain. He had enemies around him, hence his need to expand his borders. Something was inflicting him, needing to be kept from harm. He's in pain himself, requesting deliverance. This man was suffering, and the only place he went to, the only place he could go to, is where? To God. So back to Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 32 to 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And so in receiving gifts from God, it is for us to enjoy. And we give God back that which is already his. Most importantly, our worship. We're declaring to God our admiration of him, our enjoyment of him. And all that we have, whether it's a little bit or a lot. In 1 Chronicles 29, 14, when the people of Israel gave to the work of rebuilding the temple, they were generous to, under the reign of David. And David says this, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given to you. Giving God glory is a gift. The willingness to worship God is a gift. They, he, he, David acknowledged it was a gift of God to be able to give back to God to the work of the temple. Both the gift we receive and the work of giving to God are both gifts of God. And we can't help but praising that which we value most. And so as we close, what do you value most? C.S. Lewis famously said again, praise is joy's appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are, 
the delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And so let's be a church that focuses on godly, grateful, genuine stewardship as a gift of God. And out of that, let's be generous. Proverbs has shown me, I was talking to Cal this week, I think going back to Genesis 1 to 3 and how God has created and ordered a world. Look at, think about the themes that we've talked about so far in Genesis. We talked about first the way of wisdom, the way of godliness. We talked about a loving father that he is, God creating everything that we have. We talked about marriage. We talked about family, all of which is ordained by God in Genesis 1 and 2. That he is the giver of everything that we have been given. Everything that God created as good. Friends, he deserves our worship. And the fall of us was broken. But we long for what David prayed in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire as is his temple, to go back to the perfect restored relationship that man had in the garden. We will again meet God face to face. Well, we will meet God face. We never met him face to face. And let's remember that related to our task of stewardship as wisdom. It's easy to focus on our stuff, but stewardship is wisdom when it focuses on God, not the, the gifts. This world is full of distraction. This world is full of stuff that looks good, feels good, tastes good. We must fight for godliness, and even that is a gift. And all because of what God has done for us, let's give God back the glory that he is due in our worship. We're going to do that now. We'll do that in song. And so friends, we can sing loud. He deserves all of our praises. If you're part of this family, we give generously to the work of this church. If you're a guest, we don't want to give you to give us anything. We just want to give you the gospel and give you reason to praise God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your abundant grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you that that is just right. It's not too harsh. It's not too gentle. It's not too easy. It's not too burdensome. It's salvation from our sins that we could not do on our own. And so, God, we desire, as Lewis said, to give you the praise that the enjoyment of the gift is incomplete until it is expressed. And so God, would you, in the rest of our time, give us the gift to express to you your greatness, to express to you your abundant generosity to us, to express to you the love that you have given to us in giving of your son so that we might even gather this morning as a church family to be submitted to your word, to be able to communicate with you right this moment. God, will you ask you would help us to worship you and love you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. 
and our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and, and uh, worship with us as we sing Jesus?